uh, we're awful glad that you're here with us today. And I was just, uh, I was just sitting here thinking um, as we were worshiping, and uh, we're just, we're glad to have Richard and Wendy back. You know, it's kind of you. You, you feel good for them. You're glad they take a cruise, but then you kind of hate them at the same time, right? Because you want to be on the cruise with them. But uh, we're glad they had a good time and uh, that they're back with us. Appreciate Kevin and Mike that were with us last weekend. Uh, I'm really thankful for all the, those who serve and give in our worship and really put the time in everywhere from learning the songs to uh, putting the slides together. It's just uh, just all of it. I'm also really excited, really thankful for the progress we've made in our Christmas giving project. Uh, really, that's one of the most important things we'll do all Christmas. And the fact that you are willing to be generous, and I know that for all of us, we, we all have big things we plan to do at Christmas. Uh, we had parents' night out last night. We had so many uh, wonderful volunteers. For, are you thankful for our parents' night out volunteers last night, parents? A couple of you are. Um, I don't know if it's because you had to take him back. I'm not sure, but um, we really appreciate Christy and and uh, her team of volunteers. Uh, so I know you've got lots of Christmas things to do, uh, but this is really an opportunity for us to give and to recognize that Christmas is about so much more than than what we get to have or singing Christmas songs or decorating the house or things like that. It's it's an opportunity for us to recognize that God intersected the world and He chose to change it in the blink of an eye. That is what we're celebrating. And when we give, when we're generous, then we recognize not only is God changing the world, God is changing us. Because that's not a natural thing to do. It is not natural to give out of your own things to someone else for their needs. That's just not natural. What's natural is, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of what I want and what I need. I want to make sure I'm happy. And yet, time and time again, you all demonstrate a willingness to take of what you have, what God has given you. I'm getting a phone call. All right. I'll call him back. Um, I shouldn't have answered it. It's probably a sales phone call. But anyways, um, but you just, break, you just demonstrate time and time again that you're willing to give to others um, out of what God has given you. And I, I'm just so thankful to be a part of a community where that happens. Uh, I work with a lot of churches and uh, and, and talking with, with their pastors, I you know, they just, they really struggle at times uh, to bring generosity out of those who are part of their church communities. And I just find that heartbreaking because that is not the heart of God. And uh, so I'm just very thankful for you. I'm thankful we have this place that we can meet in. I'm just thankful for your generosity, not just financially, but you're generous in your, your encouragement. You're generous in your love for others. You're just generous in uh, welcoming people. Uh, it's just, a, it's just, just thankful this morning for all that we have here. Um, you, I believe you have all the announcements uh, that we've got for today, but let me just encourage you, if you have picked up a tag, we really need you to bring it back next week. If you've picked up a widow's harvest tag, we are actually delivering that a week from tomorrow. So you've got to bring those back. If you cannot do that, if something's changed, please just leave the tag on the tree. We'll take care of it. It's okay. Things happen. But uh, that way we'll know what we need to take care of uh, this week. All right. So we're continuing our series, Christmas Stories. We, we do some variation of Christmas stories uh, pretty much every year, uh, but we also want to focus on a different aspect of, of what's going on in this season. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's real easy and it's a lot of fun. And some of my most favorite Christmas series that we've done at Journey are the most, you know, just fun, just uh, uplifting, encouraging uh, sermons. And, uh, and, and you're not going to get any of those this year. 
So I just want you to be aware of that up front. Uh, but no, seriously, we're, we're talking about some deeper issues this Christmas. Now, we're having some fun with it, uh, and there are some wonderful stories, and, and, and Christmas is just, you just can't make Christmas a downer. I mean, it, it's, the story is it, it's just encouraging in and of itself. However, the things we're talking about are really deeper principles that not every Christian will, not only will they not understand it, but they will not want to understand it. One of the things we decided very early on for Journey is that we did not want to just simply give you things that were entertaining, make you feel good. We wanted to give you truth. We wanted you to recognize what does it really look like to know God because there are some things that can be painful in your quest to grow closer with God, but yet the benefits of what you receive by being willing to go through those things is off the charts compared to a life where we are simply looking to be comfortable and to have as much pleasure in our lives every single day. What we believe about Christmas is that when God intersected our world, when he chose at this moment, I'm going to change everything, that what he was offering us was greater than any pleasure or any gift that could be given in the world. It's the greatest thing we could have. And so there are many things in this world we may have to give up in order to receive what's better. And the great mystery is that we are willing to settle for lesser things because they're easier to come by. We're willing to take that low-lying fruit even though the really good stuff is up high. We're willing to just settle even though the stuff that really makes life worth living cannot be settled for. Last week we talked about the story of Joseph, and the story of Joseph is often overlooked. He's just that extra character that's hard to fit in the nativity scene at home. I call them major scenes, but if you go to a store and ask for a major scene, they look at you like you're crazy, apparently. But Joseph is more than just that weird character that you can't figure out. Is he a wise man? Is he, you know, a shepherd? Or is he the father, you know, surrogate father of Jesus? Who is this guy? But Actually, Joseph's story is one of great sacrifice because Joseph was known as a good, just man in the community. And he was about to live a life with a woman who could be accused of adultery, which at that time was a serious offense. It was a stoning offense. And yet he was willing to give up his reputation because God issued a call to him. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph. Uh, we, we know that he's really not there for any of Jesus' public ministry. Most believe that, G, that Joseph at some point died along the way. But yet, now we know his eternity is with God in heaven. Perfect bliss and happiness and fulfillment. So we don't really know the whole story of Joseph, but we do know that when God called, he was willing to sacrifice something that was very important to him, which was his reputation. What we, what we came down to last week was that if you choose God's calling, you've got to give up others' opinions of you. You've got to focus on the opinion of the one who matters most. Today, I want to talk to you about the story of Mary. Now, Mary has gotten a lot of press. In some religious circles, Mary is, she is deified up there right with Jesus. Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, the immaculate conception, the virgin birth, there's just not many people in the world that can say that about their child, right? I don't know anybody that has conceived immaculately or has, there's been a virgin birth. Anybody else? She's unique. She's different. 
And she is celebrated. For many of us, we think, wow, Mary, she just was, she had the life. She just, she got to, to have Jesus in her life like no one else did. We often overlook her, whatever would have happened after the nativity scene, where she has that glow on her face of just giving birth. And yet what I want to share with you today is that Mary was willing to give up something very important to her in order for her to fulfill God's call in her life. And what we can learn from Mary, every single one of us, is a great life lesson. And what does it look like to not just settle for the low-lying fruit, but to shoot for the really good stuff up high? If you've got a Bible, we are going to be jumping around a few places. We're going to start in John and uh, we're going to move around. If you want to follow along on version, you can do that. And uh, if you need a Bible, I believe we've got some out in the lobby that you can just pick up and you can uh, take that with you. The truth is that following God's call often involves giving something up. It may in, <clears throat> excuse me, involve giving up your comfort. It may involve giving up pleasure. It may involve giving up free time that you would want to use for yourself and your ventures and the things that you enjoy. It may mean giving up financial resources to help others. It could mean giving up a lot of different things. Whenever we understand salvation as all we ever do is receive stuff, we miss what it looks like to really follow God. See, there's kind of a wave of, of a notion that is sweeping America that just says, if you follow God, everything is just perfect. It's rosy. It's wonderful. And while we could theologically say that is 100% true, realistically in our lives, sometimes following him can be very difficult. And I'm, I'm thinking of, of one of the prolific writers of the New Testament, Paul, saying, I literally have to beat my body to stay in line with the things that I believe to be true and worthwhile and worthy. I have to shadow box. I have to continually work at this. And yet it's very easy and it's very common for us to post something on Facebook about how, you know, you just need to rest in God's mercy. Well, yes, we do rest in God's mercy, but sometimes God's mercy is showing us how we need to wrestle against our own habits. Sometimes we have to wrestle against those things. Now, if you live a life that your goal is to never give up anything, here's what we know. You will live a very self-centered a very small life, it will most likely lead to depression, individualization, and for many people, they will decide to end their life because they can't see outside of themselves and they've determined that there's not enough within them to sustain a fulfilled life. That's absolutely true. It's impossible for us to do that. We cannot live a fulfilled life only with the things that are, are within us. And that's one of the reasons that so many are struggling with purpose. So many are struggling with hope. So many are struggling with what they perceive to be a good life and they're not living it. And yet those who have so little can be so fulfilled and happy in the lives that they're leading. And we step outside of that. Now, we do distort this picture. There are different religious circles that also say the more you give up, the better of a person you are. 
And so you need to give up everything. You need to be in constant suffering and pain. You need to constantly be denying yourself everything. And so far as to say, some have completely given up anything that could be pleasurable in life. They have given up you know, foods. They have given up things that they drink. They have given up a, a, a life uh, with a life partner that they can marry and have a family with. And they have distorted the idea that sometimes we need to sacrifice in order to gain something better to where it's just about the sacrifice. I don't want us to do that through this series. What I want us to look at is what are they willing to give up for something better just for the sake of suffering. God's not about his people just suffering. He's not interested in us just suffering in life. Some of you today are suffering through something. You're suffering through decisions you've made. You're suffering through things that you're doing. You're suffering through jobs you don't like. You're suffering through financial crises that are happening. You're suffering through habits you wish you could break. You're suffering through just not feeling that this is the life you always thought you were going to have. There are many ways people suffer today. Some of you are suffering with someone else. And as you watch them suffer, sometimes with health. Sometimes with just depression, you watch them suffering. You're suffering with them because you care about them. So there's a lot of suffering that does go on in the world. When we look at in the world stage of what's happening with refugees, when we look at what's happening in Syria, when we see these nations that have been war-torn for generations, our suffering sometimes is better framed in what is true suffering. Sometimes I think I suffer because I've got to start my day early. And yet my day is better than many who will live that same day. We frame our suffering in understanding that God doesn't just want you to hurt. God doesn't just want you to be miserable. There are those that believe that. But instead, God is calling you to transcend what this world finds natural so that you will embrace what is supernatural. If it was natural to embrace God, we wouldn't need Jesus. But it is supernatural. Now, as we look at the story of Mary and you're thinking, oh, that sweet young mother with the blue and the white robes. I don't know if she wore blue or not, but for some reason, tradition says she wore blue robes. So all our nativity scenes have her in blue robes. But she's just so so content and so happy and she's given birth and her child is here. And yet, here's what I want to do with her story. I want to jump to later in her story. And I want you to recognize that unlike many of us, where we slowly kind of learn about the history of the prophecies in the Old Testament, at this time, they were keenly aware of the scriptures and the prophecies that were happening around them. And so when, when the angel came to her, when Gabriel came to Mary and said, you are going to be the mother of the son of God, she knew immediately what that was going to mean. Now, when I first had kids, probably when you first had kids, you had no idea what you were getting into. Can I get an amen into that? Amen. Amen. Still don't. The older you get, the worse it gets, right? Yeah, you're laughing. You don't want to say it because there's some of them in the room, but you know it's true. (laughs) Right? You didn't have any idea what you were getting into. In fact, when, when a young family has their very first child, you, you kind of, if you're an experienced parent, you look at them with a little bit of mercy and grace because you know, boy, your life, your, your life is about to end as you know it. 
Then when the second one comes along, it's a little bit easier. When the third one comes along, I mean, it's old hat. Whenever you have more than three, listen, you can have as many kids as you want after three because you've already basically given up on any life you ever thought you were going to have. It's easy after that. But I want you to picture that Mary knew what it meant to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary knew what was going to happen. Let's jump ahead to John chapter 19, starting in verse 23. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lot for it to see whose it shall be. This was the fill of Scripture, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldier did these things, standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. See, later in the story, Jesus would have to say, take care of my mom. She would have known the story. She would have known the prophecy. She would have known that to be the mother of uh, of Jesus would be not only a great honor, but it would also bear great pain. See, one thing I know about parents is they can't stand to see their children suffer. can't stand to see their children in pain. There are many a parent who have toddlers who, are, who never would have thought that they would have picked up another toddler that picked on their child and thrown them across the playground once they hurt their child, right? <laughs> Did you all not do that? Has that not happened for you? All right, this is where self-disclosure goes a little too far. <laughs> I, I never did that. I thought about it, but I never did it. See, you can't stand to see your kids in pain. For some, they can't stand to see their kids uncomfortable. And so they work so hard so that their kids are constantly without pain and, 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 and are constantly comfortable in their life. And what we know is that those kids grow up not able to deal with the world around them. Because that's not the way the world works when mom and dad aren't there to frame everything. Mary would have known this. Now, I want you to picture, I want you to imagine, and for the moms in the room, it'll be much easier for than anybody else in the room, but I want you to picture that you know your child is going to be tortured and killed in order to bring salvation to the world. I don't even know how you would process that. My guess is you think about the salvation to the world, not about the tortured and killed part. Yet she would have known. Have you ever considered what would have happened when Gabriel came to Mary, had Mary said, That's not what I want for my life. I don't want to. I don't want to outlive my child. I don't want to go through that kind of pain. Now, me as a problem solver, my primary thoughts would be: What what do we do when he like does something he's not supposed to? Well, that will never happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. But what if she said that's that's not the life I want. The mother of the Messiah is going to experience pain. The mother of the Messiah is going to experience loss. The mother of the Messiah is going to maybe experience great things, but they're also going to experience 
great suffering. What if God called you to something and you absolutely knew God was calling you to it, but yet you had to endure suffering to fulfill that calling? That's what I want us to think about. God intersected the world so that the supernatural could break into the natural and change everything. But it didn't come without a cost. It didn't come without fear. It didn't come without worry. Mary would have known the prophecies when she spoke with Gabriel. But I want you to know that when you receive God's call, it is an invitation to be a part of God changing the world. Now last week I shared, and and I hope that you already know this, is that every single follower of Jesus has a calling. We don't just break down callings based on roles, jobs, positions. See, in our minds we do that because that's the way the rest of the world works. But in the family of God, they don't work that way. We put things and we say these are more precious and these are more important and these are more valuable. And if those aren't the ones that that I am called to, then, then maybe my calling is not all that great. But every calling from God matters and you have one if you're a follower of Jesus. We all have different roles, yet we're all a part of the same body. We all have different parts to play, but we're all part of the same whole with the same goals, with the same plan and the same God working them through us. We all have a calling. You have a calling, even if your calling wasn't like Mary's. There was only one woman in all of time that would receive this call. And you weren't it. But your calling is vitally important. And it is an invitation by God to be a part of Him changing the world. And we've talked a few weeks ago about the parable of the sower. This is one of the hard things for us when, you know, if you grow up watching the Disney Channel anymore, you grow up with a very warped sense of what it looks like to be an adult. Amen? Because everybody wants to be the star. If you notice the commonality in all of the shows in the Disney Channel, it's so wrapped up in music now that almost every show has the star. And then the supporting cast. We all want to be the star. We all want to be the one that's in lights. We all want to be the one with the microphone. We all want to be the one that our face is on the album cover. But who wants to be the quirky friend on the side that provides comedy relief? Who wants to be that guy or girl? They grow up believing that if I don't get to have the star calling, and I don't want a calling at all. So what ends up happening is people shoot for the stars. And if they don't hit the stars, they give up. Guess how many stars there are on these shows? Sometimes there's two. Usually there's one. Does that mean if I don't perceive that I'm the star, that I'm not worthwhile? Does that perceive... I mean, if I'm not the star, that, that my calling doesn't matter? Does, if, if I'm not the star of the show, does that mean that I don't matter? Not in God's world, but that's the way it works in this world. So if you grow up believing I have to be the star or I don't matter, you're going to end up with a life that you're going to wish was someone else's. 
you'll miss the thing that God wants to do for you. Not always in huge ways that we're called. The parable of the sower said, even when the seed falls in the good soil and it grows, it did not grow and bear the same amount of fruit. But yet it all bore fruit. Sometimes as a pastor, I look at these other pastors and I listen to their sermons. I'm like, man, they are awesome. Don't don't mistake uh, me to think that I think all my sermons are great. There are sometimes I think, man, Mark, you really, we should have gone from the, the last song in the worship set to the last song of the service and skipped everything in between. And I look at some of these guys who are just, man, they just absorb information and knowledge and they communicate in a way that, I'm, whoa, I just need to give up. They are so good. So do I stop what I do because someone's better? Unfortunately, many in the world, work. that's the way they live their lives. If I love football and I don't make it to the NFL, I'll just never play football again. And yet some of the very best times we've had are family football games at our house. No NFL scouts were there. But we had a good time. If I don't make American Idol, which you won't unless you're on it this next season, but if I'm not the American Idol or I'm not the winner of The Voice, then I'm just not going to use my voice. Even though your voice can bring you and others great joy and communicate so many wonderful things through it. See, your calling matters whether you think it's huge or not. Mary's undoubtedly is a huge call. And for Mary to pursue God's call is to embrace the eternal over the temporary. The temporary being everything from your first breath in this world to your last. That is the temporary. The eternal is everything thereafter. Mary could have said, I know what I want for my family. I'm going to marry a nice guy. We're going to have kids. And then I can't wait to be a grandmother. And I'm going to have them over to the house. And then great-grandkids, which not many had great-grandkids at this point in time. I'm going to experience all this. This is not what I want. Because I know I'll have to watch my son die. I, I, I don't want that. She could have said that, but she chose to embrace the eternal over the temporary. And here's why. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. And it's important to know, we talked about this last week, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. That's a nice greeting, right? I'd like for somebody just... I'd like for y'all to come in on Sunday morning and just say that to me. <laughs> Greetings, oh favored one. I would, I would feel good. I'd feel weird, yeah. <laughs> Greetings, oh favored, <laughs> excuse me, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Why? Why would you be troubled with that? She was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be done to me. Is her response. She was greatly troubled. Why are you here? What's what's happening? You're favored. Okay, I don't know what that means. I've seen the prophets who were favored, and I know what happened to them. That wasn't good. I don't know. I want to be favored. What's happening? And in that call, let it be done to me. See, you will find great joy in a world where you can hear the call of God and answer simply with an obedient, let it be done to me. You will find great satisfaction in a world where few people find satisfaction by being able to hear God speak and simply be willing to say, let it be done to me. Now, if God calls us to something incredible, Mark, I, I want you to build a multi-million dollar empire. Let it be done, God. Let it be done. Right? When do we get started? But what if God says, Mark, I, I want you to be called to where you struggle to get by every month. Um, is there a, a choice B here? Um, can I say no to this one and then will you come back with another one later? You see, when everything looks like it's going to be great, we are very willing to say, let it be done. But whenever there's a chance that everything, or not everything, but something could be difficult, that's where we struggle and we begin to weigh the cost. Am I really willing to do this? Now, I, 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 honestly, I rarely hear people who felt called to live in poverty. Rarely. Many times those who feel called to poverty are also those who are, who are on, in this belief that says, I need to uh, suffer as much as possible to be pleasing to God, which completely negates grace and mercy. So I find very few people that God is actually called to a life of poverty because what God knows is we actually can do a lot of good in the world if we aren't in poverty. But there are times that God puts us there. There is a reason that God has not given me an unlimited amount of money because I quite honestly probably wouldn't handle it well. I mean, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't know where it went. I would know where it went and it would be on me. So that's probably why God hasn't just blessed me with a huge amount of money. For some of you, you may be in a place in life where God has not just given all the resources to you that you believe you need 
And you can get angry with God because he hasn't done that. But I will tell you that in life, there are many lessons to learn no matter where you are. And I will tell you it is much easier to learn lessons in times of need than it is to learn in times of plenty. See, in times of plenty, we don't perceive that we need to learn anything. I mean, we've arrived. This is what everybody wants. But often that's where God teaches you the greatest lessons. So while the world says you're blessed if you have much, theologically, philosophically, in all reality, when we have much, we may actually be the least blessed because we have hardened our hearts to opportunity for change. So, where do we go with this? This is where the rubber meets the road for Christians, and it's so difficult for so many. The truth is that when you understand God's calling, when you understand what God wants to do with you, it's really not about you. See, I recognize that I'm here talking about all callings are equal, yet I'm doing that as in a role that people typically look at as one of those higher callings. But ask any real pastor out there, and they'll say, yeah, it's not. It is, it's, it's no more special than anything else. See, we tend to worship roles and people in positions. And yet people in those roles and positions recognize that sometimes that's the worst place, the hardest place to be. You've got to understand that calling's not about you. If you get a big calling, I want you to go into another country and change that nation. That's still not about you. If you're going to be a pastor, some of you may feel led to be pastors at some point. If you feel God calling you to say, I want you to take up this role as a pastor, it's not about you. In fact, you, the way you mess up ministry fast is believing that ministry is about you. It's not about you. It's about God. Everything is about God. When you understand it's not about you, that's when your faith grows. See, if it's about me, I rest in my ability. I rest in my skills. I rest in my education. I rest in the position that I've been given. But if it's not about me, I have to trust God for what he's going to do through me. You'll find your faith grows when you recognize it's not about you. But that will be one of the hardest things you will ever have to do in breaking from the natural world to embrace the supernatural. This is where repentance is turned away. Because repentance requires us to say we're not all that. The world tells you that's the way you need to live. There was a a few years ago, I don't know, it's been, I say a few years ago, probably 20 years ago. Boy, every time I tell these stories, I feel so old. Very early in my ministry, which was about 20 years ago, golly, there was a a man who wrote a book called Discovering Your Strength. He was a Christian, wrote it to Christians. He would write a follow-up book, uh, roughly titled Play to Your Strengths. The idea was that God has given you a sweet spot of strength, and, and we believe that that to be true. The spiritual gifts are all about you finding what is that supernatural gift God has given you to perform within this world. It's something beyond what you can ever do on your own or anyone else could. 
spiritual gifts are huge. You are empowered. You have a strength there. It's a, it's a, a strength that comes from God himself. And so you do have strengths. But this discovering your strengths and this playing to your strengths was all about finding the things you're good at and only doing those things, which on one scale sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Isn't that what everybody wants at their job? Just let me do what I'm really good at and don't ask me to do the things I'm not good at. But anybody love that kind of job? I'd love it. I'd love that job. But here's what happens when you, you live in the real world. Those jobs don't exist. And so what those books did is they created great discontent among people who had to do things they didn't enjoy. And they said, I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to do this. That's not what I'm good at. That's not what I enjoy doing. And so what, what happened were about 10 years where the church got so messed up because all of a sudden everybody just wanted to do what they enjoyed. And they found out all the things that made all those enjoyable things possible never got done. Because <laughs> nobody enjoyed them. And what he meant for good, saying, find the thing that God is doing in you and focus on that. Use it to its greatest amount, was secularized, and it became, do what you enjoy. As a parent, how much of what you do can pass the filter of you enjoy it? A lot. There's a lot. There's a lot that you enjoy. I even enjoy changing diapers. When we brought Jake home, when he was a cute little baby, I should have brought a picture. He would have enjoyed that. Um, <clears throat> Whenever we brought Deidre and him home, Deidre had a C-section because as he is a huge, uh, you know, kid, he was a huge baby. And so she had a C-section. So we got home. Every single time he cried in the middle of the night, I was there. Deidre didn't change a single diaper at night. I mean, I was like super dad. It was awesome. Loved it. I mean, by the time Jonathan came around, you know, what, what? It'll be fine. You know, that's the way I was in the... I can't smell it yet. It'll be fine. You know, it's, that's, that's kind of how, how I became. There are things you don't enjoy. When you go to work, if you go to your boss, and there actually was a, a follow-up book written by another author that encouraged this. Go to your boss and negotiate so that you only have to do the things you enjoy and are good at. That is a quick, that is a quick prescription for the unemployment line. And yet some of us do this in our faith with God. God, if it's good, if it's fun, if I enjoy it, if I'm good at it, if I feels good, I'm in. And if God said, yeah, this is good, but it's not going to feel good. Are you still in? See, this is why so many Christians are discouraged and have given up on God being active in this life because they think that somehow God is only going to have them do the things that are fun and good and easy, and that is just not the way God works. And this is that hard message for us to embrace. I wish I could only do the things I'm confident in. I do a lot of things I'm not really confident in. I do a lot of those. I wish I could only do the things that bring me most pleasure, but if we did that, none of the bills would get paid. None of the work would get done around the house. Nothing would get done around here. You know, as we're watching the news, radical Islamists get this. They just get it for the wrong God. 
They'll give up everything for their faith. I mean, to strap a bomb to your chest, they're committed. They're, they're committed that something eternal is better than something temporary. The problem is, is they have embraced it about false teachings, about a false God that cannot follow through with the promises that they are trying to live up to. But they get that. There's a reason it's growing. There's a reason that it's spreading. You see, the reason it's spreading is not because people want to die. The reason it's spreading is because people want to live passionate lives again. And when all we want to do is enjoy and be pleasured in life, that is not a passionate life. And so when they see it, even if it means doing horrendous acts of evil, they're willing to do it. You understand it's not about you. Your faith in God grows. At the end of the day, all of this is still about God. We are simply blessed by Him, to be loved by Him, and to know what true love is. We are given that by God. It is a blessing that we have. Mary understood that a calling by God is greater than the plan she had for her life. Later, In this story, after Mary visits with Elizabeth, Elizabeth will be the mother of John the Baptist who will pave the way for Jesus' public ministry. He's the one that we talked about, I think, last week or the week before. That He said, now that, that that Jesus' ministry is growing, it's time for me to decrease so that he can increase. This was... This was Elizabeth's son that Mary went to see and that was also part of the proclamation of Gabriel to Mary. After Mary went to go visit Elizabeth, it is said that John leapt for joy in her womb and Mary was so moved she wrote what would be called the Magnificat. This is what she says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of this servant For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She felt an overwhelming sense of being blessed, even knowing there was going to be pain in this calling. So here's what I want to leave you with today. How do you determine your calling? How do we do that? Now, I will tell you that there's not a formula that you can follow. I'm going to give you one, but it doesn't work. So there you go. All right. So the formula doesn't work because there's also not a formula for me to figure out what Deidre's mad at me about. Um, there's a process we have to go through, right, for me to figure that out and then change myself because I'm usually wrong. There's not a formula. But there are some ways that you can help discern God's call in your life. One is this. Be educated in the Word of God. 
Be educated in the Word of God. Know His Word. God uses His Word. The Holy Spirit uses that to mold and change your thoughts, mold and change your priorities, mold and change your hearts. Knowing His Word. If we don't spend any time knowing God's Word, then we will not have any material for the Holy Spirit to work with. It's one of the greatest blessings God has given us that you don't have to have me here telling you all this stuff. You can go get it for yourself. Be educated in God's Word. God speaks through His Word. If you're wanting to hear a word from God and you're not spending any time in His Word, don't expect Him to use any other means in which to communicate with you when that is the low line. That's the easy stuff. It's just right there. Be educated. Soak it in. Make it a part of you. Many times you will perceive God's call based on what He has already written. Now understand there are different levels of calling. You and I all share some of the exact same calling. There's no difference in us. We, we are, all shared, are all called to love. We are all called to share the good news. We are all called to live lives pursuing holiness. We, we all share certain elements of calling, but there are some more specific elements of calling just for you. Those are the things that become a little more difficult. But those things that we all are called to, God readily and easily puts those in his word. So how do we move toward that specific calling? Uh, <coughs> I would say the second thing is this, be open to the leading of God. Sounds so simple, right? I have found before you hear the great big calling that he has for your life, he's waiting to see if you'll follow his lead in all the other things of your life. Have you established a pattern of following God's lead? If not, that's where you start. You don't go for, okay, what's my, what's my purpose in this world? What's the big thing you want me to do in this world? You don't start there. You just start with obedience in the things he has already said. Establish a pattern of following his lead. As you continue to follow, he will lead you in deeper ways. Third one is this. This is hard. This is, again, this is the stuff that is not fun to talk about. But practice self-discipline. Recognize the empty things that bring pleasure not pleaser, pleasure. Pleasure versus the worthwhile things that do bring pleasure. Now, if I had my way, I would spend my life watching movies. If I had my way, I would spend my life just going out to eat and traveling. If I had my way, I would go out and buy the latest, greatest everything. If I had my way, I would sleep late every morning and I'd go to bed whenever I wanted to. Yeah, if I had my way, I wouldn't have to work. I would just go have fun. If I had my way, I would have a vacation home at every major theme park at beaches and mountains, and I would be going all around the world. If I had my way, those would be great things, right? But I practice self-discipline because there are greater things than those. And sometimes self-discipline is something we don't want to practice because self-discipline means I have to limit myself. You live in a world that says to limit yourself is un-American. I will also tell you to know God is un-American. Now, for some of you, that really, that, you, that's in your crawl now. When we equate American with knowing God, then we have taken God and we have brought him down to a very weird worldly government. Instead, God is so much greater To be American means that we have to pursue happiness, not pursue the things of God. 
To be American means that we need to look after ourselves, not look after others. See, God is so much greater. I'm not saying American's bad. I'm glad I live here. I do believe this is still the greatest nation on the planet. But it is not equal to God. <laughs> I don't care if we put in God we trust on our money or not. Self-discipline says there is something that I must give up in order for me to have something better. I would much rather just be able to express my opinions about how we need to help people than actually have to spend time and resources helping people. In our social media generation, our opinions have somehow equaled action. Nowhere in the history of the world do opinions and actions equal out, except on social media. Opinions are worthless. Who cares? Everybody's got an opinion. I've got an opinion. I would love to give my opinions. But where are we active? What are we doing? We can say Christians who don't think you should help refugees are terrible Christians, but have you actually helped a refugee? It doesn't really matter what you say about it. Have you done it? It doesn't really matter if we can pick apart churches and pick apart Christians and pick apart people who aren't good enough Christians in our minds, but what are we doing? Self-discipline recognizes that there are things that are empty that bring pleasure, and then there are worthwhile things that are far better. Practice self-discipline. Are you, will you limit yourself for things that are better? Fourth thing is this. Practice interactive prayer. Interactive prayer. Not talking to yourself, not talking to the wall, communicating with God. Saying, I don't know how to do that. Well, sometimes you start with talking to yourself and talking to the wall. If you're open to God's leading, he will begin to speak to you. It's a process. You grow in this. Fifth thing, how do you determine your calling? Surround yourself with others that are also seeking God's call. Do you know it's amazing? One of the primary ways God uses to communicate calling are through the people that surround you. So if you're surrounded constantly by people not seeking God's call, you may never hear it. But often people will see it in you and will tell you, Surround yourself with others that are seeking God's call and listen to them. And the sixth thing I'd share with you, this is all on you version, by the way, if you want to take it with you. Find ways to serve even when you are unsure. If you're not sure this is the thing, go for it. Don't wait for people to ask you. I always thought it was crazy whenever uh, people would say, well, I'm just waiting for somebody to ask me where, where they need me to serve or tell me where they need me to serve. I, I, I'm, I am somewhat... Uh, independent, and I recognize not everybody is as staunchly independent as I am, but I never understood why would I give the control of my spiritual growth into the hands of somebody else when God's allowed me to have it in my own hands with him. I've never understood that. Well, no one's asked me. I'm just not content with that. Well, I, I, you know, I was willing, but I never, I never got the call. I mean, I knew something was going on and there was a need, but no one ever came to me. Why would I give up on what God wants to do in my life because someone else hasn't asked me yet. I've never understood that. No way for people to ask. Serve. If, if, if he's leading you to serve outside of the church, guess what? You're free to do that. Sometimes we think, well, if, the, if I'm not serving in the church, I don't need to do anything else out in the world. Well, no, that is not true because we are a community, part of many other communities in the world. We serve. 
Why do we serve? We demonstrate that God has done something in us, and so we love others through service. Find ways to serve. Now, I didn't start out wanting to be a preacher. Uh, I just started out serving. And along the way, it became clear that's what God wanted me to do. And so I did. But I didn't start out that way. I didn't want to start out that way. Some of you know my story. I was not interested in being a pastor. Some of you, God is going to call you to something you have no interest in. But by just serving, you will begin to hear and see what God wants to tell you, what God wants to show you. Here's what I want to leave you with. The pursuit of comfort is going to keep you from passionately experiencing God's plan. It's it's going to happen. The pursuit of comfort. The great things in life don't come when you're comfortable. The great things in life come when you're willing to work for something. If you're just waiting for it to come to you, you're not going to experience it. You want to passionately experience God's plan? Give up the idea that it has to feel good. I also want you to leave, leave you with the fact that a calling with consequences... Mary had a calling with consequences. A calling with consequences are more rewarding than a pursuit of happiness without any substance. Even with the consequences, you will find yourself more fulfilled. You will find more joy. You will find that life makes more sense and you have more hope and more purpose when there is substance than <coughs> simply chasing the things, hoping that it will make you happy. Mary was blessed because God was at work in her and around her, not because she lived a life without pain. See, her eyes were fixed on God and what he was doing. My question I want to leave with you is this. Will you follow God's call for your life? I don't know what that call is, but I'll help you find it. A whole room full of people here that will help you find it. Will you follow that call? I know for a lot of us, if God were to just stand in front of us and were just to give us a, a quick bullet point about how, what we're supposed to do, we would be so great with that. But that's not the way God works. But as he leads, will you follow his call? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that you use imperfect people. And I thank you that you bless us with being a part of your plans and your work in this world. I pray for those in this room. They've been pursuing your call, and it has been tough. It has been difficult. They've given up comfort and pleasure. They've given up resources because they believed in the call that you have given them. Father, I pray that in those times that you won't make it easier, but you will open their eyes to the blessing that your calling is giving Pray for those in the room that they're just going from one thing to the next. They're just looking for the next thing, but they just are not certain of what that calling is. I pray that you would give them wisdom. (laughs) Help them to see through your word. Help them to see through others. Help them follow your leading. God, I thank you that you broke into this world using people that were willing to sacrifice great things in their own lives so that we can have a relationship with you. And when this whole life is over, we can spend an eternity with you in heaven. Father, help us in all that we do to follow your call in this world and in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.